podcast one production. G'day, I'm Chris Russell and welcome to Agriminders. Since being a very young, wet behind the years ag science graduate in the 70s, one of the most significant changes I've seen in agriculture has been the development and growth in use of glyphosate, which has been known as Roundup because of its Monsanto brand, or in urban Australia, Zero. Now, its release has been critical to the spread of what is called no-till farming and the dramatic reduction in associated soil erosion from over-cultivation. In fact, when I was young, the Soil Conservation Service was a major operation in New South Wales, and now it has even been disbanded. It's also spawned the release of a whole range of what they call Roundup Ready Crops, where particular crops have been developed to be resistant to Roundup and therefore able to be sprayed to kill the weeds without affecting the underlying crop. And this has decreased dramatically the use of chemicals deemed to be far more dangerous. But Roundup has now come under suspicion as a potential cancer-causing agent following a recent case in the USA where a rural worker claimed that it caused his terminal cancer. And he's been awarded multi-million US dollars by a jury in the US court. And there are also over 8,000 other claims lodged in the US judicial system focused on this chemical. So the implications are very significant, both as regards previously unrecognised health effects and also future crop production. On one side, it's probably been the most widely used ag chemical in Australia over the last 40 years, and potentially hundreds of thousands of people have been exposed to it. And on the production side, there is no chemical available that replaces glyphosate if its use was to be banned or restricted. So to understand these issues from all perspective, in this episode, I'm going to explore the implications with three key agriminders. First of all, the Australasian Managing Director of the Original Developers and a major supplier of glyphosate globally, Monsanto. And then I'm going to talk to the Chair of the Australian Association of Crop Producers called Crop Producers Australia, who are both the beneficiaries and the potential victims of this chemical. And then finally, I'm going to talk to a distinguished Australian scientist who is a member of the International Research Agency on Cancer, known as IARC, who in 2015 researched the risks associated with glyphosate and determined that glyphosate was a probable carcinogen. So firstly, to lay the background and give us an insight into the use of this chemical and its safety implications from a manufacturer's perspective and the way forward from here, I'm joined by Tony May, who is the Australasian Managing Director of Monsanto, who originally developed and owned the patent for glyphosate and have marketed it globally since the early 1970s. Welcome to Agriminders, Tony. Thank you. Tony, just tell me uh, in brief terms what glyphosate is uh, or Roundup as it's called. It goes under the names of Roundup or our urban listeners are probably more uh, familiar with the term zero. And in fact, I've called this episode Zero Tolerance for that reason. Yeah, Roundup is um, our original brand uh, of glyphosate. So glyphosate is a a herbicide. Um, It's quite a simple uh, herbicide in the way that it operates. It disrupts a pathway within the plant 
and then, you know, subsequently the plant dies. There's some other things uh, in the formulation, things like um, uh, a surfactant, and that helps um, that helps the herbicide uh, land on the leaf, spread out on the leaf, and help helps uh, the plant absorb the herbicide. And it works on green plants, basically. That's right. Pretty much, it's it's what's called a, a broad spectrum herbicide. So it has uh, control of of many of the broadleaf and and grass weeds that we have uh, around the world. And why do you think it's been so transformational in crop farming globally, but particularly in Australia? It uh, it's it's a quite a unique product. It's it's now over forty years old, and and over that time there hasn't been another another product quite like it. Just so it, it really is a special product. Probably one of the key things that that product has done it it's allowed farmers to to take on board new practice called and new practice at the time called minimum tillage or zero tillage, and really what that means is um, you know instead of cultivating using a, a tractor and plough to cultivate weeds, it really has been able to control the weeds using Roundup. Um, and why, why that's so important, it means that the crops double, so the old part of the crop that was harvested, it can remain standing and having that crop cover uh, allows rainfall and moisture to be more efficiently um, taken in and infiltrated into the soil. And that simple act of, of being able to store more soil moisture has made farming far more reliable and because we've been able to store more moisture, the crop yields have been far improved as a result of that. And, uh, you know, understanding you're the uh, manufacturer and the marketer of this product, but if you had to put a number on it, what difference would you say it's made to production of food in Australia in percentage terms as a technology? Oh, it'd be incredibly difficult to really put a number on it, but I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're growing uh, broadacre crops in places that we would never have been able to grow, um, you know, broadacre crops. Um, I think, you know, despite uh, ever-changing and more variable environment that farmers are dealing, I think um, Roundup and Zero Till has, has made it, you know, a, a more reliable farming system than what it would be without it. So I'd, I'd hate to put a number on it, but it's it's hugely significant. And not just for broadacre agriculture, you know, horticulture, you know, it's an important part of a whole range of farming systems that we have in Australia. So why is it under threat? Yeah, it's th- recently there's been um, quite a lot of, of, I guess, activism around herbicides and, and modern farming practices. Recently, there was a group called IARC had uh, looked into uh, the Roundup. Uh, What's IARC stand for? What's that? Uh, the International Research... Agency on Cancer, I think is the the acronym IARC, and they did look at uh, they look at uh, a whole range of of different things and look at the potential or the possibility for those products to cause cancer. And so that was uh, I think that occurred in about two thousand and fifteen, uh, and they they determined that uh, glyphosate was a probable carcinogen. So put it in a category of of group two. Um, with other things, you know, like red meat and, and coffee. And, and you know, it has a, a scaling of, of one to, to three or four, I think. And, you know, things like um, uh, sun and sun cancer, 
is in group one, for instance. So uh, the thing about IARC, it, it really sparked, you know, people heard that claim and really without understanding the background information, understanding what it actually means, you know, had really drawn some conclusions around that. So you also have had a case in America recently which uh, resulted in uh, a jury finding that it probably did or did to beyond reasonable doubt, I assume, cause the cancer of a particular gentleman who lived in uh, California with a massive payout, which was subsequently reduced, but the judgment still stood. Um, wh- how, how did they manage to do that considering, you know, the use that we've had all those years? Yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure and I can't really speak for, for how the, the jury came up with that determination, but certainly IARC, um, you know, played a part of, of that decision. And um, as a company, and, and we feel very strongly about the science and safety around the product, and, and we've, we've certainly stated that we will be appealing that case, of course. But, um, you know, the, we're very comfortable with the, the range of and the, the vast majority of science that's out there. Actually, just about every country that uses and regulates glyphosate, I think it's around 160 countries, have um, approved glyphosate for use. All the major regulators, you know, in the US, Canada, uh, Japan, Australia, Europe and Germany, they all have uh, over a number of years and many different occasions um, looked into the safety of glyphosate and said glyphosate is a safe product and indeed doesn't cause cancer. So there's a, I guess there's a difference between what happened in the court case to what uh, many regulators around the world are looking at, uh, and, and just a, a you know over eight hundred studies have been used and reviewed for regulatory purposes around the world, looking at all aspects of safety, including cancer. And as I said, you know the the science and weight of evidence behind that says that glyphosate is safe. So that's a big statement to say you're comfortable with that. I mean, uh, regulatory authorities are also swayed by the necessity and we've seen some pretty ordinary, dangerous chemicals that are still allowed to be used um, because of the fact that you can't do without them. So I wonder for you to say you're comfortable with the use, what gives you that comfort that you're absolutely sure that that this is a completely safe uh, chemical? I'm not suggesting it's not, but I'm just asking you why you're so comfortable. I think um, the key reason is it's probably, and I, you know, I, I, I'm almost certain of this fact. It would be the most studied crop protection product that there's ever been around the world. So over forty years, studies not only by Monsanto but um, other crop protection companies have also have their own studies, and I think even more dwarfed by the studies that the crop protection companies themselves have are independent organisations, universities and the like looking into um, the safety of glyphosate. So, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that the, the overwhelming weight of evidence is on the side of glyphosate is a safe product. So what do you think the chances are that we're going to see its loss? In Australia, I'm talking about specifically. Yeah, I... When we talk about um, science and, and a lot of our customers uh, are farmers and and are very science-orientated and science-based, in fact, Bayer's 
uh, vision is a science for a better life. And so everything that we do is tends to be um, anchored around science and, and, and evidence. Uh, but I understand that there are a lot of different groups that don't actually understand modern agriculture, may not like the use of crop protection products. And I think the recent events has really pulled together farmers and, and I think, you know, they understand that they shouldn't be complacent. I, I feel comfortable that our regulators are doing the right thing and I think, you know, I can see now that farmers are really starting to think about what would it be like without the use of this product. So there's no room for complacency but I have seen very much so, not just in Australia but around the world, farmers really rallying around uh, modern agriculture and the use of these products and telling their own stories about the importance um, and sharing their experiences and views. What would be the implications for Australia if we did lose it? I've heard all sorts of figures from 20% to 30% loss of production, you know, soil conservation issues. What would be the implications and what's your plan B if, if we do, in fact, lose it? Maybe because it's banned in America and without America, the company decides it's not worth producing. Yeah, it's it it's a it's a worrying one. I, I think you know all farmers would be sitting back and contemplating that scenario, and probably to understand that scenario, you probably have to look back at what things were like before using glyphosate. And um, you know there were many areas where you know heavily cultivation was the key tool that farmers had to control weeds and and establish crops. Back in those times, there was huge amounts of soil loss, wind blowing soil, you know, from paddocks. You know, I, I can very much remember seeing fence lines and you wouldn't think fence lines would be such a barrier, but, you know, um, wind blowing sand and soil hitting the fence line and, and the fence line would be just covered in a small row of, of soil. Likewise, in some heavier heavier soils in northern New South Wales and southern Queensland, I can still see massive areas of of uh, erosion. Even though they use many attempts at you know using contour banks and waterways and the like, still unable to contain the the soil erosion. Now, a lot of that has changed. A lot of that we just don't see anymore because of maintaining that stubble. So I, I think. You know, a world uh, without glyphosate would see a lot of farms being unviable. Um, I think the costs of weed control, cultivation, hand weeding, a lot of those things uh, would would really make farming um, difficult to be profitable. I think it would make farming far more variable, crops more difficult to establish, and certainly crop yields lower than what we see today. So, um, you know, putting a number on it is difficult, but I think, um, you know, the scale of the change would be quite dramatic. So this is all controlled in Australia by the APVMA, I mentioned, which stands for the Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority. Is there a chance that they may unilaterally decide it's too dangerous or do you not perceive that as being possible? You know, I have a lot of faith in how the APVMA has been established. It truly is an evidence-based organisation. They look at science. Um, I believe that, you know, they look at the data that's provided to them uh, in a very objective manner. I wouldn't think that this is where, um, they, you know, any of that 
type of challenge would come from. Um, it might be a more political challenge, but I think the APVMA is a, a strong, solid, effective regulator and, and who looks at it, looks at evidence. So in terms of your response, if, the, if someone like the APVMA come up with doubts or questions, how does Monsanto respond to that? You then launch into a whole new research sort of program or do you rely on what you've already done? What, what are you going to do to try and um, build up the confidence again after being knocked back in the States with this court case? Yeah, it's, if, if there were new information that would need, needed to be provided or um, any new, new evidence or, or, you know, if there was some, something new that came to light, of course, we would continuously and are continuously updating information about uh, glyphosate in particular. You really need to look at... Th- th- there are ongoing studies, and I, I guess there's there's a really interesting one in the US. It's a longitudinal study. It's been going for more than 20 years now, and it's been comparing... Um, or looking at farmers and applicators, people who use uh, glyphosate in their, in their lives farming... And, and looking at over 50,000 of those individuals, uh, farmers or applicators, and following their, you know, their lives and their health outcomes, conducted by the National um, Institute of Cancer, I think, in the US, a, a US government body. And they've actually found no difference between the group that use glyphosate and to those who haven't used glyphosate. And I think that's one of the most telling studies that we could actually do. Um, many studies are, you know, a particular point in time. They might be looking at other animals or, or other studies. This one is actually looking at real outcomes, real people over a very long period of time of use. And uh, in my mind, that is a very telling study. So back to your question, I, I guess, you know, we're always looking at information and uh, regulators are always looking at new bits of information as well. For instance, when IARC came to um, their conclusion, many of the regulators around the world, in, including our own APVMA, but also in the US, Canada, Germany, uh, Europe, they all looked and reviewed the information that IARC um, proposed and uh, the conclusions were all the same, that they would not change the way the product was registered and used and and confirmed its safety. So there are currently, I think, 8,700 people who are now going to pursue Monsanto in America. But, you know, to ask my last question a slightly different way, I mean, will your response to that be relying on the same information? Or, you know, I mean, that's a lot of people that you've you've got to defeat, if you like, to to convince the world that this is safe. Uh, you know, how, how is Monsanto going to be able to do that? These are these are all individual cases, and and as I said, you know, the first case was the Johnson case, um, and we we will be appealing that case, um, and we're we're feeling that appeal process gives us the opportunity to again state the you know the the broad evidence that's out there, the sheer weight of evidence, you know, around the safety of that product, and and that's the that's the way that. We will we will go into each of those cases as they as they arise coming into the new year. So Tony, if we, let's move on then to a to a life where we don't have glyphosate available. What would life be like after glyphosate? In ter- not so much in terms we've talked about you know what the production levels would drop to, but we can't just accept that. We've got to produce 
all this food. Um, we've based this series on the concept that there's going to be more food eaten in the next 50 years than the history of humanity. We've got to cover at least 70% of that with new technology. We can't afford to lose our old technology. What plan B has Monsanto got in place, or Bayer's in its new owners, to actually come up with a way of achieving the same end result as we've had with glyphosate if you don't have that chemical? Yeah, we're all looking for that plan B, I can assure you. It's um, it's about, there's an interesting statistic and it's uh, over 30 years ago, um, one molecule out of 10,000 um, ended up becoming a product. Um, today, it's more like one in 50,000. So it's becoming more difficult, taking longer and longer to bring products to market, finding almost that needle in the haystack, I guess. Um, so rest assured that there's a lot of people uh, investing a lot of money uh, into into finding new herbicides, but not just new herbicides. There's also, you know, in the area of robotics and, and things like that, looking at very unique, new, novel ways to control weeds. One of the things that I, I think is a, you know, a, a great project that Bayer are involved in is with the Grains Research and Development Corporation. Um, there's a project that the GRDC are investing uh, around $45 million over five years. Um, and that was really to establish a centre where Australian weeds can be elevated. So what I mean by that is that um, there's a lot of research dollars going into different areas and it's about priorities in many respects. So sometimes Australia won't get a mightn't get a look in uh, some of the the key weeds that we're dealing with. So the concept of this project was really to make sure that um, the issues that Australian farmers are facing, you know, are on the map and being seen as a priority. Um, and with this this project, that's that's essentially happening. Looking at our key weeds and making sure that the research is being targeted at that. There's um, this project, this uh, employed over um, 40 scientists involved in, in this project. Many of those are Australian uh, students, uh, postdoc students. And I think it's a, a wonderful way in which uh, we can build the talent that we need um, in Australia to answer that question, to try and find that plan B. Well, Tony, I, as a scientist, I hate basing our future on hope. But can I say that I think all of us in the world of agriculture hope that you guys prove to be correct and that are seen to be correct by the system because glyphosate without doubt is a key to our sustainable farming, I think at least in the short term. But you need a long-term alternative, I guess, coming on. So it's good to hear there's work going there. And we can only um, say that uh, the import of getting this right is critical Thank you very much for being our AgriMinder today. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you today. Thanks. So now we've heard from the manufacturer, let's listen to the people who are double stakeholders in this debate. On one side, they are the potential victims from any health effects of this chemical. And on the other side, they're also the potential beneficiaries of the advantages that glyphosate offers in crop producing. So we'll be speaking to Andrew Wiedemann, the Chair of Grain Producers Australia.
In part one of this episode, we talked to the original manufacturer and developer of glyphosate, Tony May, the managing director of Monsanto in Australasia. So I thought I would speak with Andrew Wiedemann, the chair of the peak body for Australia's grain producers, Grain Producers Australia, to find out, firstly, if he was concerned at any potential health effects for his members, and then what are the implications for any loss or restriction of use of Roundup in Australian food grain production? And I guess, paradoxically, how do they reconcile being both the beneficiary and the potential victim of this technology? Welcome to AgriMiners, Andrew. Thanks, Chris. Andrew, where do we use and why do we use glyphosate? And in the media, there's been a lot of publicity about the risk of using glyphosate uh, as a producer. Uh, What are the perceived risks here in Australia? Well, it's a good question, Chris. So I've been a farmer for just over 35 years and I've seen the transformational change from active cultivation in farmer paddocks to now seeing farmers using chemical control measures to maintain their soil moisture, the structure of the soil. And for some of the listeners who may be old enough to remember the dust storms here in Melbourne in particular where we're taping this from today, that 82 drought and the 83 season, the start of it, the significant dust storms that we saw, which did come around from the amount of cultivation that we used to do in the paddocks. Now, glyphosate, Roundup or Zero Weed Killer that you see in the Bunning stores is the product that we're talking about here today. And it is something that has been transformational in my farming life that has contributed to seeing the lessening effect of uh, tillage because we don't do that Uh, to that level that we used to anymore. We use Roundup to kill the weeds that are growing in the paddock prior to sowing or over the summer period when we get summer rainfall events which produce summer weeds, we need to control them. So it's been a, a significant tool that we have used in farming and continue to do so today. But that's all well and good if it's we're now finding that it's going to also kill you at the same time doesn't matter how good it is, isn't there a concern amongst your producers uh, that they might have written their own death warrant? Well, significantly no, because uh, in terms of uh, the usage of Roundup or glyphosate from an early day stage, uh, we always question what we use and the significant data that was available at the time showed that it was one of the most safest products, if not the safest products that we used then and we still use today. And in terms of protection around using this particular product, it is uh, a significantly uh, low-risk product for us to use. Now, there certainly has been plenty of media speculation recently about the effects of glyphosate on human health, and there's also the same effect in the studies that have been brought forward on using and eating things like grapefruit. So it's actually been put in exactly the same basket uh, in terms of its cancer uh, potential. Now, in terms of uh, the safety factor from farmers' point of view, uh, it is the safest, if not the safest product that we currently use on our farms. Uh, This IPARC is the International Agency for Research on Cancer and they've graded it as probably carcinogenic. And in fact, the jury in America, in the Johnson case, saw it so definitely carcinogenic, they gave the guy originally $250-odd million, and there are now 8,700 cases that are coming in and saying, yeah, well, I've been affected by this too. Doesn't that 
bring some red alarms, red flags up in your mind? Oh, look, definitely in terms of uh, the potential that we may have companies that are, have produced the product being put through this process of court litigation. Uh, there's no doubt that that is certainly playing on the minds of farmers that I represent right across Australia. But in terms of the actual product itself, we have no fear in terms of using it uh, because of the product itself being a salt and uh, that it's probably something that we've really just grown up with and, and used to the effect of maintaining uh, minimum tillage. And we see it as an environmental tool in that respect as well. So if we take it away, Chris, there is nothing that we have that will replace it. I'll come back to that in a minute. But you said the product's a salt and therefore that makes some people perceive it as safe. Why, just because it's a salt, do you think it's safe? Well, I guess that's uh, the science that we've learned at school um, from an early age around uh, the particular amino salts that are used in the manufacturing of, the, in this case, glyphosate, um, that it doesn't have that kind of impact. Now, taking into account the wetters and other things that are put in there, and, and that's probably for a more scientific mind to describe to your listeners, but uh, from our perspective, we don't see it as being an issue to use this product. I wonder, could I put it to you that nobody wants to see it as an issue because of the issue, if we lose it, it'll be a big problem. But is that a good reason just to ignore it? Oh, no, look, I don't think we need to ignore it. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to put that across to the listeners. Uh, I think what we need to do is just maintain the same protocols that we've always used in terms of its usage, just as we do with any other chemical um, that we come in contact with. One of the big things that has also changed is that we've gone from using an open drum uh, situation where we're actually pouring the product into a boom spray and then watering it down with water. We're actually using the chemical straight through uh, what we call a micromatic system, which is essentially a closed system. So there is no contact with the product whatsoever. And so I think for a lot of the listeners, um, they won't uh, appreciate or understand that. Uh, and in the product that they're actually buying from the shelf, it'll have already been watered down so significantly from being a straight concentrate like we use uh, out of the larger vessels that we're buying that particular product in. So you mentioned before about the implications as being so critical to the farmer that they'll almost ignore their own safety to make sure they can still have it. What are those implications? Well, look, the implications are, are real. I mean, uh, you could look at going back to the same level of production that we had back in the 80s and uh, essentially halving the amount of uh, product that's grown globally around the world. Now, look, I don't have a problem if the market's prepared to pay me the exponential price for the particular product we're growing, but the reality is for the consumers that they're going to see a massive uh, hike in terms of the cost of their food because of the production costs that are associated with it and the lack of food that would be available. And, and potentially, I think for the listeners, is working out who in the world's going to starve more. That's really what it comes down to. So, Chris, I put it to you, um, you know, which country are we going to not be able to feed? Well, that's true. Is there any other molecules that farmers or any other methodology that's now around that would allow them to continue with this uh, minimum tillage type farming? Look, there are some chemicals that are available, but they are significantly higher risk type products. They're S7 uh, category chemicals. Okay, so, so S7 means that they're deadly poisons? Oh, that is correct. So it's the same protocols 
in terms of using all of the chemistry on our farm. Every farm uh, around Australia can vary to some degrees, but uh, those that have grown up with the use of chemicals have been trained from an early age. And, and by the way, the farmers that are out there are all ChemCert accredited and able to purchase these products because they've had prior training. I think that's a point that's been missed here in terms of uh, what you're talking about with the court in America. You know, did that person that had the case, did he have prior training or not? All those things uh, do matter when it comes to using these particular products. So so let's be very clear with the listeners that you can go and buy a zero weed killer without a, a chemical accreditation like I've got and use the product. And I know there's a lot of people out there at home gardeners that have used these products year on year and they've never had a problem with it. I mean, I'm, I'm ChemCert accredited, um, Andrew, but if you use chemicals for long enough, and I mean, if you use an S7 according to the recommendations and with a closed system and so on, well, that's not going to hurt you either. But, you know, if, you, in, if you, you're doing this for years and years and years, there's going to be some time somewhere where it's going to be spilt on you, you're going to get some spray drift or something's going to happen because we don't live in a, a perfect work environment. So you know, I just wonder whether, in fact, you're underestimating the potential that if this is a carcinogen, then, you know, the risks are similar to using an S7. Uh, well, look, I, I don't believe that's the case in this instance, Chris. So from the, the learnings that we have um, at this stage, I think I'll accept the risks that are associated with this particular product, as I think most farmers right around Australia would too, uh, and in favour of um, ensuring that, you know, we continue to use it productively and it improves the profitability and productivity of the farmers uh, that are using it. Is there any risk to, to the end consumers consuming products that have been sprayed with um, glyphosate, wheat or barley or whatever? Well, look, I think the reports and the uh, technical reports that support our current regulatory system here in Australia, uh, if there was some concerns around that, uh, Chris, that that would have been obviously uh, brought up before now. Uh, and uh, from talking to our regulator in, in relation to this particular product, glyphosate, then uh, they haven't seen any form of human health issue uh, that they've actually had concerns with in terms of the regulation and the label changes around it. Now, um, we're always open to any particular product that we use currently that if there's new material or something that has sufficed to suggest that they should do a review, then they should do a review or a label change. Uh, in this case, uh, I think the promotion in the early days, perhaps, that it was over-safe may cause some people to not be as prudent as they would be with other chemicals and in, in, our inst in this instance, I don't believe that's the case with the modern-day farmer because they're all well-trained, as I've said. They have accreditation in usage of chemicals and that continues to um, enlighten them around the usage of any particular product that uh, they come in, in contact or potential contact with. Uh, and I'm sure that in most cases for a lot of the products we use, uh, it does wash off with water. So, Andrew, from 1970s, where it was, I think it was first painted in 1974 by Monsanto, um, and then through to 2016, we're talking about a hundredfold increase in the frequency and volume of glyphosate-based herbicides that are used. Now, of course, the patent came off, I think, in the early 2000s, so that would have allowed a lot more companies to sell it. But how, how much glyphosate is used in Australia? What percentage of your 
growers and of growers generally would actually use glyphosate? Uh, well, look, Chris, that's an excellent question, and, and it's one that I really don't have a definitive answer for you on. I would have to come back and give you some other estimate, but in our own business, we would use on our farm somewhere in in relation to this particular product somewhere around perhaps six to eight thousand litres a year on about eight thousand acres of crop. So that's is would that be typical of most farms? Do you think? Look, as a percentage, I would suggest yes, and but it would vary from particular rainfall environments to different parts of Australia. So that that would probably be about the average. Uh, there would be somewhere in the medium to higher levels in some of the higher rainfall zones and where I farm, but in the lower rainfall zones, it would probably be of a lesser amount than than currently uh, we would use on average. So in, in this instance, you're probably talking maybe two to three litres per hectare across most of the farms across Australia. And in terms of crop production, you can probably do the math divided by the amount of total overall crop production that is in Australia. And have you noticed that it's just as effective today as it was when we first started using it 40 years ago or so? Unfortunately, no. We have seen resistance to glyphosate build up and and most of the, well, all of the farming community that uh, uses the product realises that resistance occurs and it doesn't matter whether it's glyphosate or any particular chemical, if you become reliant on it, then it will become resistant at some stage to that particular product. So, We have, um, over time, come up with solutions around how we can manage to use the product in strategic uh, interaction with using other products uh, in crop uh, in this situation or in between uh, seasons where we don't use glyphosate, but that is something that farmers have also gone back to in some cases where they have had to uh, use some form of tillage uh, to try and maintain a weed control either prior to sowing or through that summer period. What about so-called Roundup Ready? We've been talking in another episode about using GM to produce crops that are resistant to glyphosate on purpose so you can spray them and kill the reeds and not affect the crop. Um, how important is that technology? Oh, well, look, thankfully, uh, Australian farmers in most states of Australia, other than South Australia and Tasmania, have access to GM technology. It's been revolutionary in terms of uh, its integration into farming systems and, and allowed farmers to actually use less, uh, more persistent herbicides because, as we know, with glyphosate, it breaks down quickly in, in sunlight and uh, dissipates quickly, whereas some of the other products we use tend to persist in the soil for, for longer periods, uh, and that does cause some concern around some of the next cropping cycles that we put in the ground. But in terms of Roundup Ready, uh, it has been revolutionary for the global market. Uh, we've certainly seen a, a big reduction in herbicides right across the world, but we have a healthy reliance on the use of glyphosate on the back of that. So, Chris, uh, one of the things that we had in the early days, uh, back in 2007 and eight, was a system where we actually started to train farmers in regards to the resistance, looking at their overall usage of glyphosate, and that has probably led to a lessening reliance on glyphosate and farmers looking at other alternatives, which is giving us the ability to maintain glyphosate for a much longer period than I first perhaps envisaged when we first started to talk about resistance to uh, glyphosate back in uh, the probably the middle 2000s. But, I mean, we seem to have built a massive dependence, really, on this whole glyphosate um, product, you know, Roundup Ready crops. They, I mean, they're useless with if we don't use glyphosate. 
um, you know, soil sustainability and conservation. We we don't even have a soil conservation service anymore in New South Wales because because we don't have an issue like we used to have in the 70s. All this revolves around one product which is now at risk. Is that been a strategic mistake to be so dependent on one particular product and do we need to now move on quickly before we get moved on? Oh, look, Chris, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, reliance on any one sole particular thing, and in this case, um, glyphosate would have to be, as you've described. I mean, we do have a heavy reliance on it, but we do know how to manage it strategically, and particularly here in Australia in our current environment and summer climate. Uh, we live in a Mediterranean climate, so we have different issues to face compared to some other parts of the globe. Our market here in Australia is probably too small for somebody just to independently produce a product specifically for Australia in terms of knockdown. But I don't think that the science fraternity or the people that are actually producing chemicals have actually been able to come up with something that is as cheap, as effective and as in unintrusive as uh, glyphosate has been. So I think that when you look at the facts, very hard to find something that can replace glyphosate overnight. Uh, maybe there are chemical companies out there now around the globe starting to look at other molecules. We're not privy to that because of most of that would be um, in confidence um, research, but it's certainly something that I'm sure somebody hopefully is working on around the world, but there is certainly no guarantee that that hope might be realised with a, a new product. So, Andrew, how would you change your farm if you couldn't use, you know, the way you grow wheat if you couldn't use glyphosate? Well, look, I'll be honest with you, uh, Chris, uh, there's a number of farmers in my area have actually said we might just sell the farm. And uh, that's pretty much where people have become so reliant on it. And that's why there is such a strong reliance on it, because people are used to growing quite good crops. We're not growing these crops today um, like we were some years ago. Uh, where we couldn't grow um, to the level of productivity that we can with the use of uh, this particular herbicide and glyphosate. So it's it's significant. There would have to be some cultural changes and there would be a massive change to the whole of the industry. And as I've said earlier, you know, the cost of food would absolutely skyrocket because uh, if we don't have access to it, I'm pretty sure that other parts of the globe won't have access to it that are growing these crops. But uh, And that would make it unfair also if certain countries had access to it because it would be a stronger advantage to them in terms of their production costs, which we would probably not be able to compete with because as you're probably aware and maybe some of your listeners are not aware, but we do compete in a global market with our grain year on year against countries like America that are heavily subsidised and the European Union, again, heavily subsidised countries so that they can produce food to put on the table for their people. What do you, the, the average punter in Australia going to buy his food, if we didn't have glyphosate, what would he see first? What would be the effect on him? Would he notice it or? Uh, I think over a gradual period of time, he would see uh, things escalate significantly, uh, in particular what, what bread, bread products, uh, pasta products all of the products that are associated with grains. You're talking about price, are you? Or I'm talking about health? price, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that they would definitely see that and they would probably see less choice than they have today because the ability for us to grow some of the particular crops we grow would not be able to be grown without the tools that we use. And, and I think, Chris, you've got to take this into context with all the other products that we actually use on our farms as well because it is a managed situation we're all trained in terms of the usage of the products that we use and we're also very well uh, educated by 
the investments that we make, that growers do year on year, pay into the Grains Research Development Corporation to do and invest in research and improvements in the way that we use our cropping systems to improve our productivity and ultimately our profitability for uh, for us to survive in our local rural towns. Now, you start taking all that away, uh, you'll see a bigger drain on the cities and you'll see potentially other parts of the world, as I've said, starve. So the listeners need to work out which countries, uh, if we can't use this product, they want to starve. Well, which countries do you think it would affect the most? Uh, certainly the African countries, uh, I would suggest, and uh, probably China uh, to some degree. Uh, I would think India in particular would be hardest hit because of their, uh, their inability to um, produce enough to feed the populations there. So I think you've got significantly those two major countries um, that would have a major impact on... And, and they're our biggest trading partners that we trade products to, by the way, uh, as well. So they would see a significant drop in available food. So that would increase the, uh, the cost significantly to their constituents. So, Andrew, I mean, the financial markets, of course, Bayer bought Monsanto recently and not long before this case all happened. Um, and they've seen their shares be absolutely dumped by the financial market. So obviously the view of the people whose money they put into these uh, companies is that that this is going to be a disaster for Monsanto and therefore from your point of view potentially you you may have a significant risk of losing this product um are you uh, are you and your members preparing themselves for world without glyphosate or are they just assuming that uh the Australian Pet- uh, pesticide and veterinary medicine authority will uh, allow it to continue to be used Oh, look, Chris, I, th- I think goes back to some of your early questioning. I- I'm sure that um, the farmers around Australia are certainly concerned about the potential that we might lose this particular product. Uh, but I think that, as I've said, consciously, the governments also need to make that decision as well. If Because to me, there's no science that's saying that we shouldn't be able to use it. I think this has certainly been driven politically rather than factually. Uh, and I think that if the science is to prevail, then we need to support our regulatory system at all levels. Now, I'm not just talking here about glyphosate. I mean, you start to question what we're producing here, and I know and you know plenty of people who uh, gladly go to the doctor and accept pills without understanding the impacts and effects on them. So I think this is a big social decision uh, if we're going to start to talk about taking away products that can actually successfully grow food to feed people right around the world and also here in Australia more significantly because it will have an impact. Andrew Wiedemann, thank you so much for being our AgriMinder today and and for bringing us your insight from both a, a potential victim and a, and a consumer and user and beneficiary um, of this product and uh, I wish you well and thank you very much for being an AgriMinder. Look, thanks very much, Chris, and to all the listeners out there, yeah, please buy something from a farmer. We've heard now from the developer and still a manufacturer of glyphosate globally, and we've also heard from a crop producer who is the chairman of Australian Crop Producers Association and arguably can be either the victim and or the beneficiary of this product and its technology. So now we will speak to a member of the panel who made the original decision in 2015 that glyphosate is a probable carcinogen. Join me again on AgriMinders. 
Special thanks to the AgriMinds Think Tank Group. AgriMinders was presented by me, Chris Russell, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer extraordinaire was Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search AgriMinders on Apple Podcasts.